coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. I'd say the number one I see is talking more about their product than the problem they're solving. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's building something cool uh, and they're really, really proud of what they're building. So they want to tell you about all the bells and whistles and how it does this and how it does that. And especially when you're dealing with like a professor, you know, here's the research I'm doing and here's how amazing this product is. But what really reflects to an investor is how big is this problem? Because the bigger it is, the more likely somebody's going to wait in line to buy your stuff or they're just waiting for that solution because it's, it's a big enough problem that I'm going to pay you to make that go away. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Up next on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Cy McGinnon, who is the entrepreneur in residence at Elevate Ventures. If you are a startup and you're looking to generate investment. You're looking to go out and bring in investors. One of the most important things that you can do to introduce your company to your prospective investors is work on your pitch deck. Sai and I dive pretty deep into some of the ins and outs of creating that pitch deck, what's important in that pitch deck, what you shouldn't include that in that pitch deck, some of the common mistakes that people make when creating their pitch deck. The, at Elevate Ventures, they also have essentially an angel investment fund. And Sai also does angel investment himself. So this this information is coming directly from someone who not only has a business that revolves around angel investing and and generating interest in the companies that they represent, but they also personally invest their own capital, their own angel investment capital into early stage new new companies. So if you are generate or starting a new company if you're very very early on and you're looking for investment this episode is going to be one that you're going to want to listen to you're going to learn a lot of the ins and outs about how people look at new companies and the best way to be able to present yourself in a way that is going to give you the best opportunity to collect and bring in as much investment money as you possibly can generate. So with this, I hope that you enjoy Cy McGinnon's episode here on Pass the Secret Sauce. My dinner table growing up was every night we all sat down to have dinner as a family, which is super weird, especially now. Consequently, my my wife's was the same way, and that's has been pervasive in our our family life as well. So now it's a every night we sit together and have dinner and Mm -hmm. it became a what were your biggest wins and what are your biggest challenges of today? Um, I love it. That's a question we ask every night. Yeah, I love it. My my girlfriend and I do uh, rose and thorn. What was your rose this week? No. And what was your thorn this week? So same same that, kind of concept. 
That's the uh, Guns N' Roses version, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, that's great. So, so were you uh, were you the entrepreneurial uh, kid growing up? You know, did you have jobs, projects, things you were always you know trying to to make work when you were growing up? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I've been an entrepreneur since you know before I was able to drive. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't even have a bike at one point in time, and I earned money to buy a bike by you name it, selling baseball cards. I sold pumpkins door to door, even though it was in October. So I learned uh, when not to sell stuff for sure. But, you know, if a five-year-old comes to your door and tries to sell you a pumpkin in uh, <laughs> September or June, you probably buy a thing. You know, where, right? where were you getting pumpkins at in, in so, so early? <laughs> uh, well, so the people would all, we lived in a, a neighborhood where you have these huge lots and people at, after Halloween would just chuck their pumpkin in their backyard. Well, consequently, they ended up with these pumpkin patches they didn't mean to. Um, and we're like, can we have those? And then we'd go sell them door to door. Oh, that's fantastic. That's great. I love that. I, my, neither one of my parents are entrepreneurs. And for whatever reason, since I was little, little, buying something for a quarter and selling it for a dollar is just the best thing ever. Yeah. Like, it's just always been that way. I love it. I love it. No, that's fantastic. So talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your, your college years, you know, were you, were you exploring entrepreneurialism during that time? And, and, you know, if so, what, what types of things were you uh, getting into around those times? Sure. So uh, all the way through my life. So, uh, you know, I had a landscaping business to buy my first truck, which made it into a bigger landscaping business. My senior year in high school, we got this really bland uh, senior t-shirt. So this was this is going to date me a little bit, but I made an absolute seniors T-shirt and had everybody's name, and it was like the writing on the side of the absolute vodka bottle, which my high school was very not happy about. But, <laughs> um, but I sold them just off of campus, so nobody uh, really gave me much grief about it. Yeah. But again, it was still what can I buy for a quarter and what can I sell for a dollar. So I, I made Greek T-shirts. I still did landscaping in the summer during that time. I had a flea market booth for a while, uh, which I'm not sure how many college students have, you know, flea market booths. But again, it was, I can buy something at this garage sale and then put it in my flea market and triple the value of it. And I I found out really quick, if you could tell a story about whatever that item was, it made it more valuable. So it taught me, you know, more about entrepreneurship and it just got deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah, that, I love it. I love it. So, so when was the first, you know, real company that you that you formed? What what was it that you guys got into? Let's see. That's a good question because it was kind of a gradient. So, it's what's your definition of if it's the first one that I raised money on, or was it the first one that I would say, okay, I actually went to the state of Indiana or yeah, yeah, to like, Delaware and formed a, a company formation exactly. Um, it, it was relatively late, actually. I was, uh, so I, undergrad was Indiana University, and then uh, grad school was Baylor. And in between those two, my wife and I would flip houses. And um, this was, well, right before the real estate crash. So we did that for four or five years right before the, the real estate crash. And we would have four or five projects going at any given time. And my biggest problem was, all of the timesheets were handwritten. So you get those at the end of the week, somebody signed in at eight, 8.30, you know, maybe 8.45. 
Uh, but you know, nobody got there and clocked in at eight thirteen on a handwritten timesheet, mm-hmm. uh, and they were not you know, rounding in our favor. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. what? And you can't be at all five jobs in one day. So we created an app, and this was before smartphones were ubiquitous. And mm-hmm. um, so a lot of the workers had flip phones. Mm-hmm. So we created an app that you could actually call an eight hundred number, and it would triangulate your location. Oh, wow. And tell you, okay, they were within 100 yards. You know, you couldn't do it. Like, now you can say, oh, well, size in the Dimension Mill in Bloomington, Indiana. And you yeah. can probably even tell which conference room I'm in. Then I could tell you you were in the general area. Uh, but it was enough to create something where I knew they weren't clocking in from their couch. Mm-hmm. Uh, or clocking in at the end of the day from a convenience store. They were actually at least near the job site. And that was Trugitz. That was the name of it. It was a GPS-enabled timesheet. Ah, I like it. Very cool. So, so did you code that yourself? Did you, did you do all the program or did you hire that out or? I actually partnered with a guy. So I was kind of the business side, the idea side. The, yeah. Now I think you would call it a domain expert. We just didn't know what that was called then. Yeah. And then a guy named Josh, I took on as a CTO, made a ton of mistakes along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, ones that I now teach entrepreneurs on what not to do when you're hiring somebody and mm-hmm. you know, what, what are you good at? What are you not good at? Hire for your weaknesses, not your strengths. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. That's, that's great. That's great. So did, was there any success at all with that, with that app besides, you know, for your own use? Yeah, it, um, we ended up selling it to a home builder. You know, I mean, it was, you know, in the grand scheme of things of like, Hey, this was a home run. It, it was probably more like a bunt. So yes, it was a successful exit, but on my entrepreneurial resume, I don't even consider that an exit. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, hey, I built something, it more than paid for itself just with our own use. And then we were also able to, to extrapolate some, some profit out of it later. I love it. That's great. So, so talk about something that you are proud of that, you, that you've accomplished, you know, one of those other things on your entrepreneurial resume that, that you know, really stands out in your mind. Sure. I would say the stuff I'm doing now, like if you said from an outward perspective, a uh, friend of mine and I started a company called Cloud Corio that we ultimately sold to VMware. That outwardly, I would say people would say, hey, that's, you know, that's his greatest success. And I would, you know, I don't think that's the case at all. It's more the things I'm doing now. So I'm, I'm kind of an ecosystem builder. My technical title is entrepreneur in residence Mm -hmm. uh, for Elevate Ventures, but I get to help entrepreneurs in my old hometown. So we had to leave right after high school or college to, to get the resources for an entrepreneurship to kind of grow those things. And you shouldn't have to do that. So to be able to offer those things to people now, I would say is something that I'm, I'm really proud of or, you know, being able to help other companies start and avoid the mistakes that I did because yeah. there was a whole, I mean, I could give you the highlight reel, but which is what all, all the entrepreneurs do is like, here's all my big wins. But most of us don't talk about the actual crap that we went through and how awful it was. And absolutely. You know, so. yeah, well, talk a little bit about what an entrepreneur in residence actually is. What, what, you know, explain a little bit about what that position actually does. Sure. So it's a little convoluted. I actually work for a VDO, which is a venture development organization called Elevate Ventures. 
And simply what that means is it's a kind of a hybrid approach. So on one side, it's traditional venture capital. I give you money, you give me equity. And then on the other side, it's the development piece. And we partner with specific communities. In my case, it's called the Velocities region, and it's Columbus, Indiana, and Bloomington, Indiana. So for this particular partnership, Columbus, specifically the Chamber of Commerce, came up with half a million dollars. Bloomington, specifically the Dimension Mill, which is a co-working space that I'm working in right now, uh, came up with half a million dollars, and then Elevate Ventures matched that with a million and a half. Um, So we have this two and a half million dollar pool of money to increase entrepreneurship and innovation in South Central Indiana, which is a mouthful. That's great. But it's also kind of nebulous. So my job is to move move the trains forward. So if you have 50 tracks that all have trains on it, you know, Mm -hmm. this is my job to make sure that it keeps moving forward. Because in the, so undergrad, my wife and I lived in Seattle, the Bay, and most recently and most of that time was Austin, Texas. And very entrepreneurial ecosystem communities. Mm -hmm. And there were way more entrepreneurs or startups that were investable companies than there were people that were willing to write a check. And it's the exact opposite in Indiana. So my job is uh, if a slam dunk investable company is a 10, I run into a lot of sixes and sevens. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my my job is to close that delta. Mm -hmm. So help kind of meet them wherever they are and help them get to whatever that next level is or help them invest in get investment or you know, help them with their pitch deck, mm-hmm. uh, you, you name it. So it's, it's a different thing every day, which is kind of a dream job for me. You know, I, you know, I've always been a mentor and advisor, but to be able to help people and somebody gives me a paycheck to do that is mm-hmm. still kind of crazy to me. That's but I love it. Yeah, no, that's great. What, what are some of the common mistakes that you see a lot of people making, I guess, when they're looking for money, we'll say, yeah. you know, what, what are some of those issues? I'd say the number one I see is talking more about their product than the problem they're solving. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's building something cool uh, and they're really, really proud of what they're building. So they want to tell you about all the bells and whistles and how it does this and how it does that. And especially when you're dealing with like a professor, you know, here's the research I'm doing and here's how amazing this product is. But what really reflects to an investor is, how big is this problem? Because the bigger it is, the more likely somebody's going to wait in line to buy your stuff mm-hmm. or they're just waiting for that solution because it's, it's a big enough problem that I'm going to pay you to make that go away. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. So, can you talk a little bit about, so, so when, you're, when you're looking for money, obviously, you know, your networking approach and your, your networking skills, I'm sure come into play. Do you have any tips or advice for people that might be looking for money on how to find and interact with people who may, you know, have the investment dollars that they, they are looking for? Yeah, absolutely. So the, this, I give a kind of a talk uh, every, you know, probably once a quarter about here's how you raise money. And part of that is, okay, now that you have a pitch deck, how do you network and get in front of the people that you want to be in front of? Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy. And I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. 
It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. And I went to an accelerator with one of my past companies called PrepFlash at Intel. So I tell a story that it was actually, uh, at the time, he was nine years old, but my nine-year-old taught me how to network. And so if you're not familiar with being in an accelerator, basically you live somewhere else, live with a bunch of entrepreneurs, or you're essentially going to school, but it's a full-time job, you know, three months. And that ultimately ends in demo day. So you get to get up and give your pitch and, hey, what's your ask? And after that, we had what's called a founder's dinner. And this was like, a, you know, like a big deal. Only the people that were either one of the founders or one of the advisors were invited to this thing. So the guy that actually ran the entire program, his husband wasn't even allowed to go to this dinner. And I mean, talk like these the people that are the advisors for this thing are like huge, like uh, Ted Kalensky, who is the CEO of Sega when the little blue guy, what's that guy? Yeah. Like Sonic. Sonic yeah. That yeah. So that's one of the advisors, you know, I mean like really high end, high end folks. Well, my nine-year-old finds John Galvin, who's now a good friend of mine, but he was the head of education and government for Intel. Oh, wow. So he finds him and talks his way into this dinner. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So I was a little embarrassed, you know, at first, but then, so we get into this dinner, like really, really fancy place. And I talking to one of the guys that I've been in this program with for the last three months. And I, we, they say, okay, it's time to, to sit down. And I'm kind of looking around and I can't find my kid. Uh, well, I look up and he's all the way across the room sitting with people I didn't know. But it was, I mean, it was time for dinner. So I was like, you find your seat. I was like, I, well, I guess he's all right. No problem. Yeah. So two hour dinner, I'm sitting with a guy that I was just talking to. And uh, so after dinner, I walk over there, like, you know, what's up, Jack? You didn't, you know, you didn't sit with me. And uh, he said, well, you know, let me introduce you to my friends. <laughs> And he introduced me to a, a VC who we ended up getting a meeting with um, and a guy named Ron Chandler, who's now a friend of mine. He was the CIO of uh, UCLA at the time. Wow. Now he's the CIO of the Harvard Business School. Wow. Um, and a, I've tapped him to be on the board of advisors for a couple companies. 
And I was like, all right, you know, thank you for introducing me to these guys. And, uh, you know, here I am sitting with people that I've been talking to for three months. So we leave and I was kind of, you know, I'm still kind of embarrassed on this thing. And I'm like, dude, like we're walking across the parking lot. I was like kind of looking around, make sure nobody hears me. I said, D- why didn't you sit with me? And he kind of looked up at me like with pity in his eyes. He goes, dad, I already know you. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. So my <laughs> nine-year-old taught me how to network. He's like, wow. you sat with somebody that you know already and you've been dealing with them every single day for the last three months. You're in, with all of these people that are just high caliber and that you can learn from mm-hmm. and you choose to sit with somebody you already know. That's dumb. Like, yeah. Wow. Out, out of the mouths of babes. Man, that's, that's impressive. What's he doing today? How, how old is he today? Uh, he's 13. Yeah. So he's uh, angling for homeschooling next year, which I yeah. think is going to happen. Yeah. He started a startup himself. I was just going to ask, is he entrepreneurial too? That's, that's fantastic. That's great. Yeah. So he loves coming to the, the co-working space with us. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, I, I can't even, can't even imagine how, um, you know, what, what he's going to, to do in his life if he already is picking up on things like that at such a young age. So yeah. that's great. Oh, my wife and I will eventually work for him, I'm sure. Yeah, that's great. So, so you mentioned before too, we, I guess we kind of went out of order. We, we, we jumped to the money side of things, but you did, you know, kind of touch on, you know, once you have a pitch deck, can you talk about creating that pitch deck and, and what should go in there and what shouldn't go in there? Yeah, absolutely. Being as concise as possible is absolutely important. We actually have a pitch deck guide that we use with Elevate Mentors. I um, mean, it's in a very specific order. And it's, it's the same 10 slides that everybody else wants. It's, you know, the problem, the solution, the team, uh, the market size, all of those things. But we have it in a very specific order. Most VCs will want all 10 of those slides, mm-hmm. but it literally matches our rubric. So as you're going through those 10 slides and you say, this is our team, that's where it is in the question uh, ranking for our rubric. So that's why it's in that, that very specific order. But not going beyond those 10 slides is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean you can't have an appendix that has another 30 slides. That's fine. But you want to have those 10 big things, um, like, like I said, really concentrating on the problem is a really big deal. And then I also tell people to have two different pitch decks as well as an executive summary. So the way that looks in the VC model and kind of how you get in front of people is if, if Matt comes to me and says, hey, I want you to introduce me to Steve, I'll say, okay, yeah, send me your executive summary so that I can say, okay, Steve, Matt wants to meet you. Here's the executive summary. Are you interested in meeting them? That's just here. Here's real quick, high level. Here's what they do enough to pique their interest. Cause you're not trying to get married right there. You're trying to get to, to the first date. So if, if Steve says, yes, I want to meet with Matt, then he'll say, okay, well send me his pitch deck because he wants to be prepared for the meeting. Mm-hmm. You're busy. He's busy and he wants to be prepared. So I tell them to have a reading deck and a presentation deck. So your reading deck, you're not gonna be able to be in front of them to actually describe that entire pitch deck. Mm -hmm. So they need to be able to read it themselves and get the gist of all of it. They need Mm -hmm. to feel the problem, they need to see how you're solving the problem. But then I I also tell them to leave a couple things out because the second pitch deck you need is an actual pitch deck. So that's what you're gonna pitch in front of the people. Mm-hmm. A whole lot less words. You don't want them reading your slides. 
they want, you want them listening to you. So it's a whole lot more pictures and a whole lot less words um, on, on the pitch deck versus the reading deck. But if you leave a couple things out, it kind of surprises them a little bit. You know, if, if you're presenting the exact same pitch deck that you sent ahead of time, mm-hmm. they already know it, they read it. Yeah. So, so why, why do that? You know, if you leave one big thing out, it makes them go, okay, I need to pay attention because there's new information coming mm-hmm. And And what would be that thing that you would leave out? Like what, what types of things would you? Um, so again, it's like that, that executive summaries to get the first date, that, that next one is to get the second date. Mm-hmm. So whatever that is for your particular industry or your solution, whatever that is, you need to put enough in there that they go, oh, I want to meet with this guy or this gal, but not so much that you inundate them with information and give them everything they need to know. So maybe that's, oh, incidentally, we have this huge LOI that as soon as we build this thing, we already have 10 customers, mm-hmm. you know, something along those lines, or they just changed the law that allows us to do this, or this is going to open up a new market and here's why. Just something to kind of excite them a little bit. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. No, that's great. And do you, when you, when you pitch these things as well to, to these investors, are you, are you filtering the investors so that, you know, maybe you're, you're pitching to, you know, I don't know, somebody that was in the transportation industry, you pitch them a transportation related app, or is it, is, do you find it beneficial to, you know, essentially introduce ideas to pretty well anyone? Um, I think you at least somewhat need to match their investment thesis because you don't want to waste their time. You don't want to waste their, or, and they don't want to waste yours. So that, but that doesn't necessarily mean just industry. You know, if I'm not going to go talk to Andreessen Horowitz about a really, really early stage, I got an idea on the napkin. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't fit. So you have pre-seed, seed investors, you have you know, series A investors, you have late stage and that's and you're not going to hire, you know, or uh, pitch a private equity firm about something that, you know, has 10,000 ARR or something. Yeah. Uh, just doesn't make sense. So a little bit, you know, I, I actually, when I work with entrepreneurs, I have them make a list of all the people that they want to get in front of and why. And then I have them stack rank those. So that's not just traditional institutional investors. It could be angel investors, you know, so we're doing a deal right now that is uh, a social network for opera singers. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so it's essentially like a LinkedIn for performing artists. Mm-hmm. And she has a little bit of institutional investment in this round, but the guy that wrote the biggest check just happens to be a really big opera fan and an angel investor. Mm-hmm. That's her ideal you know, investment. And he was willing to take the whole round 20 minutes after she pitched to the IU angel network. So yeah, sometimes it, it helps to kind of be industry specific, but a lot of times you can't, you can't do that. You know, mm-hmm. if you're in transportation, yeah, there's actually VCs that are only doing venture capital deals around transportation. Like they don't invest in something outside of transportation. So if it is industry specific, that's great, but it does, definitely doesn't need to be. Got it. Got it. That's great. That's great. Can you talk a little bit about some of the benefits that you've seen starting a company more in the Midwest rather than going to, you know, the typical, you know, especially if you're dealing with a tech company, you know, everyone thinks San Francisco, I have to be in San Francisco. 
Do you still see that as being a necessity today? And if not, I guess, what, what are some of the benefits to creating that company or starting that company more in the Midwest regions? Yeah, absolutely. Quite the opposite, actually. If I were to start another company today, I would start it in the Midwest for several reasons. One, to the part I alluded to earlier, there's a whole lot more people willing to write checks than there are people that are investable companies. Um, So there's a lot more capital available here. And everybody rallies around those entrepreneurs because they want to see innovation and entrepreneurship grow right in our community. And like I said, there's, there's plenty of people that are willing to write checks. So Elevate Ventures for the first quarter of 2020 was the most active pre-seed and seed investor in the entire United States. Oh, wow. Uh, we did 21 deals in the first quarter of 2020, which is amazing during all of this, that there was that much activity. Now, those are really early stage, you know, an under 100K checks, but it's a big deal flow. And then there's a lot of resources here too. You know, like I said, people really want to rally around an entrepreneur and and see it grow because they want to be able to highlight, look at the things that are coming out of our community. Yeah, that makes sense. If someone wanted to get in touch with you or with, with Elevate or, you know, even learn a little bit more about your, your incubator program, what would you say is the best way to, to do that? Probably the website, it's just elevateventures.com um, uh, or email. Um, I'd give you my email, but my name is Cy Minion and it doesn't even look like it uh, is spelled that. So it's cminion at elevateventures.com, but, but there's a G in there. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that, that's great. I, I, so what would you say is the typical type of company that you guys would normally work with again is it industry specific or anything do you focus on any industries or do you take pretty well you know any any types of ideas we are fairly uh, industry agnostic but because of where we are it tends to be you know a lot of ag tech a lot of SaaS companies a lot of life sciences because uh, Indiana University is also in Bloomington so we see a lot of those things and, and Elevate Ventures also does matching funds for SBIR grants So consequently, we see a lot of people coming into our portfolio that are looking for matching funds and then kind of stick around because, okay, now we already have a relationship with this venture capital firm. We got a phase one SBIR grant. We got some matching funds from Elevate. We were able to meet a couple KPIs and get a little further down the line. And now we're we're going out for a raise. Um, So we see a lot of life sciences deals um, for those two reasons, the the grants as well as the, the professors. Uh, that are in our region. No, that's great. And and would you invest in a company that wasn't in your region, or do you pretty well keep it in you know, in your your local uh, area? So Indiana as a whole is all that Indiana or Elevate Ventures can invest in. So, okay. um, but as angel investors, my wife and I invest in everywhere else because of conflict of interest. I don't invest in Indiana companies personally, but. Elevate Ventures does here and I do everywhere else. So. That's great. That's great. And, and same thing for you too. You, you're pretty well agnostic with the types of companies that you'd be interested in taking a look at as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, hopefully, I, I think I've got a couple of people actually in mind that might, you know, I want to introduce you guys to. So yeah, um, 
you know, it'd be great to, to do a follow-up and see, you know, how things are going, but, uh, yeah. you know, I, I love this. This is, uh, this is fantastic. And good luck with your, with your son too. He, uh, yeah, he sounds like he's going to be quite a go-getter. So, yeah, you know. I sure hope so. Yeah, uh, we also move companies to Indiana. We got a whole lot of resources for that too. So somebody's looking to start a company and want to do it in Indiana can probably help you a whole lot. So. Oh, that's fantastic. Excellent. Well, great. Sai, this is, this has been great. You know, thanks for being on the show and uh, we'll be in touch and hopefully we can uh, chat some more in the future. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Sai. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.